Candy Minks in Chicago for the Agency Podcast. And this is Eugene Napick in Toronto, your agent in Canada. Hi, Eugene. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to talk to you today. I, I feel like I was just so out of it last week that I don't remember anything about it. I was delirious. Cool. From my booster. Oh, there goes Stig walking by. Hi, Stig. Cool. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I would, and I, I didn't feel well that afternoon or the next day, so I'm glad to be back in better form. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm pretty good. It's uh, kind of a weird day right now because uh, they're filming. One of our neighbors rents out his house uh, as often as he possibly can for oh, commercials. Yeah, you make a lot um, of money. Um, yeah, and it, it's about five or six times a year, I think. It I seems, think you should at do least that it too. Seems. Oh, I don't even want those people on our street. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine how George and if we, with your story about um, Willie, can you imagine how George and uh, Ruby would disrupt film set? It? Oh, did I tell that story? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder to our listeners, if you're new, he had a cat that kept meowing during a production in the studio. <laughs> Not in his studio, in the hallway. Guess what? I got called for jury duty. You did? Isn't that I interesting? Know. Isn't that when? weird? I wonder if they were listening to the podcast. <laughs> Well, is it going to is it going to interfere with New Mexico? No, because I filled out a form and I haven't heard back from them. <laughs> Just told them who I am and all that jazz. So I don't think I'll get called. Just before I went to Vietnam, just before the pandemic, right? I got a letter saying I was going into a lottery for the oh, opportunity boy. to be on a. a a jury and i assumed that i was going to get the letter saying i had to go like the day of my flight but what it happens? never happened and okay. so off what i happened? went what happens if that happened um, i think you, i think you tell them here's my plane tickets you show them the plane tickets right. and um and you say can you defer me please because uh i'm my bags are packed and i have a an expensive plane ticket and hotels yeah. booked yeah. and they put you in the next one. I think that's what happens. I think you must be right. Cause how could they disrupt that? I can certainly understand that you miss work, but um, you know, Hey, I'd like to go back, revisit oh. something from last week's show. Okay, great. Is it's not a fix, fix it. So it's I fix not it. a fix it. Okay. But you know, I, I was talking about Belfast. Yeah. The film Belfast. And yes. I, I had said, it's an almost great movie. Yeah. Meaning it's really ambitious. It's got lots of good things going on, but it fell short in some areas. Okay. Um, stopping it from being a really great movie, but still really interesting movie mm -hmm. to me. And, and only 90 minutes long. Well, and short, too, <laughs> you know, and we'll be talking about that when we get to another film after. But, okay. Um, oh, something has just started up on my desktop. I didn't ask this. Oh, story, no, but. that happens to me. My, my Adobe Flash comes up all the time and, we make a podcast. Anyway, um, I just, you know, I, I you do a little research here. People don't know it, but we actually do a little bit of research along the way for this, this podcast. Yeah, and, sometimes we do. Yeah. Um, I came across a review of Belfast. Okay. And the opinion of Armand White in the National Review was mm. so different than mine. So, oh. so different. I wanted to highlight it. All right, good. Because I, I figure... Hey, here's a completely here's someone who saw this movie in a totally different light than I did. Yeah, I don't uh, like and, that paper. And you know, maybe I wouldn't either. I don't know. I don't know that. Well, isn't that like paper. the right wing newspaper in Canada? No, you're thinking of the National Post. I was. Uh, the National Sorry. Review is some kind of online 
cultural review. Oh, thank you. So I don't know. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about Armand White. I really okay. had a chance to uh, uh, to look him up and find out anything right. about him. But but hey, I wanted to present an opinion about this movie that was completely different than mine. I and then it. I wanted to ask um, our listeners and you if mm-hmm. you seen the film and you agree with it disagree with it um want to pick a fight with one of us right you know? um, so here's some of the comments that armand white wrote in the national review which he referred referred to his review as the real deal on kenneth Branagh's obtuse memory movie oh. um he said it was soulless oh. he said the music was not relevant to the time it highlights Branagh's lack of imagination um, it's obnoxious child actor exploitation and Buddy's naivete insults anyone who doesn't overindulge memories of his own youth. Uh, Buddy's banal innocence falsifies everything Belfast shows about the troubles. It's overly sentimental claptrap um, wallowing in romantic ethnicity. Um, as for the camera work, which I really thought was excellent. Um, unperceptive, mechanically flowing camera seems disconnected from culture. And Bronig is culturally obtuse with a shallow regard for Irish history uh, and it cheapens Ireland's art heritage. It's overly nostalgic as well. Armin, tell us how you really feel. Wow. Was there anything I wonder... In, in the review, there is not one aspect of this film that this guy thought had any redeeming qualities at all. And, you know, I can be a crank sometimes about about films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, man, usually I try to well, find something in a film that might be reasonable. You know, so I'm, I'd like to ask our listeners, have you seen Belfast? What did you think? Right. Was now, that a stinkeroo? Was it good? What do you think? You know, I didn't see it. I was trying to see it last night and uh, I went to go to the theater to see it. And my girlfriends texted me like, where are you? I thought you were going to meet us. And so I had forgotten that I had arranged to meet all the staff, which oh, none dear. of the staff showed up except three of us. So I had to, to abandon the movie and go meet them. So I thought I could stream it last night, but I could not stream it. So I'm very sorry I wasn't able to see That's it. Okay, well, we you can us. now give us the, the opinion next week. Yeah, who was right? I'll, me I'll, I'll or Armand or somewhere. It's probably somewhere in between because you can't hate it more than Armand did. No, of course not. I have a feeling I'm going to like it. I did feel a little trigger when you were telling me about things um, during what you said. I was like, Ugh. you know, because sometimes we don't like, sometimes we worry about when people claim to be neutral on a very delicate topic. It feels like you should take a side in a way. I'm not saying you have to take a side, but that was the only reaction I had when I listened to you was that, gee, I guess... I would have a side on that topic of the troubles. That's um, me. That's yeah, me. If he did have a side, it would be the side of Billy who couldn't understand um, why he can't have a Catholic girlfriend and, yeah. and and why he can't live in peace with his neighbors. Right. Yeah. Don't that, and that's a fair thing to say. He, he was coming from the mindset of a child. Now the national review, I did a quick look. I have heard of this uh, website and it's by William F. Buckley started it and it is. Oh, uh, so it is uh, a conservative rag. Yes, it is. So, and Armand White, to be fair, didn't like The Dark Knight, which is a brilliant movie. And he didn't like, um, he didn't like Get Out, which is considered a revolutionary film in the last couple of years. So, um, so maybe you know, Armand's a crank. 
maybe he's a little bit grumpy. Yeah. And maybe he, you know, if you're conservative, you're going to prefer more, um, less, you're going to prefer a different um, perspective on things. It doesn't I, I mean you wouldn't like Get it. Out. It wouldn't mean that you didn't like Get Out or The Dark Knight, but I could see a good opportunity, sorry, Eugene, that you could play out your agenda with those two movies in particular. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all I wanted to say. Yeah. Sorry. I, I could also see that that anyone who has a lot invested in one side or another mm-hmm in the troubles mm-hmm. wouldn't like this movie mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it didn't give their side the the highlight that they wanted and, and and it's a red flag topic if you made a movie if someone made a movie about abortion i might want them to mm, take a side maybe i wouldn't i don't know i mean i'm yeah, just trying to the, think of red flag topics, the movie probably you know? isn't about the troubles it's about it's a coming of age story i understand i understand and i you know what i have a feeling maybe who knows I, I i can't wait to see it i know a couple of our listeners responded on instagram uh julie who follows us on instagram you know was really anxious to talk about it maybe we should get her on here next week um she's got a pretty busy schedule but maybe if i see it and the three of us could talk about it that could be kind of interesting sure yeah. Um, hi, Queenie. So I know that she said something on Instagram and I, I think I was going to ask you to go and respond to her on there, but I, I didn't want to bug you because I, I, I didn't Did know you like the movie? Check. I think she probably did like the movie. And I think she really wants to talk about it because I noticed on Facebook, she's like, has anybody out there seen Belfast? So I think she wants to talk about it. Well, let's. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see if we can coordinate that. We might have to record yeah. on a Monday. Yeah, that would be great. That would be, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? What? You're not even going to believe this. Uh-oh. I went. I went out and saw another coming of age story. It seems oh. as if all I see are coming of age stories now. Right. After saying, "Oh, I hate coming of age <laughs> stories," I've just seen one after another after another. It seems right. Well, guess but, what? I what? think I saw the same one. Ah, so you went to see uh, <laughs> King Richard uh, last night when I went to go see Belfast. Uh-huh. But what to, I okay. was able to do. Although I bailed in the movie theater, I was able to watch it on HBO Max. And remember oh. when I signed up on HBO Max in Tennessee so I could watch um, The Many Saints of Newark? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then I realized I'm going to have to sign up again and watch. I may just be a subscriber. I should. I don't understand why when I have HBO, I can't watch that streaming. They all, have that, ex- they all have that extra pocket where they oh, put the really good stuff. Oh, it's infuriating. So I might not get HBO. I might just keep HBO Max. And I have a, I can't watch it on TV still. I have to hook up along with the DVD player fiasco. And this is all Mercury and Retrograde. All this happened in Mercury and Retrograde. I have my, um, which is over, long over. I have my box for the TV so I can get Disney app and I can get HBO and Peacock. Should I want them? And I may want them. I may try to get Disney on Monday. You know why? I mean, on Thursday. Thursday. Why? Because what we talked about last week was Peter Jackson doing the Beatles. I watched that on on 60 Minutes. They profiled Peter Jackson's new documentary on the vault of recording Let It Be and Get Back. And he's got a documentary coming out called Get Back. And it looks freaking amazing. It looks like it was made yesterday. The Beatles look so young. And they look like they're actually friends. So it's kind of in the face. For a while, they were. Well, I think that's what we're finding out is whatever did happen, maybe we won't know the whole story, is maybe it wasn't as horrible as that recording session because the rumors were always that everybody hated each other. You mean it wasn't just Yoko? 
Yoko and Linda look like friends in this video, in this film. I mean, I I'm, sure, I'm sure the real story is a lot more complicated than anything that's ever going to come out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's going to be, I'm really excited about that. So I'm probably going to watch Disney on, on Thursday, Thursday or Friday anyway, because here it is Thanksgiving. And I guess it's being released as uh, for Thanksgiving viewers. The Beatles, it makes sense. That's feel good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Family stuff. Um which brings us family stuff brings us right family back stuff to what you're and feel good movies uh, yep. to uh, to King Richard. That is unbelievable. What do you mean? I mean, I can't believe the whole story. I, I really didn't think I wanted to see this movie. To be honest with you, I just I didn't. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll watch it. Yeah, sometime. why the heck? Why would the heck would they focus on on the father of these two great well, stars? I want to call the fairest question in the world, right? Right. I'm going to call this episode Venus and Serena. Serena. Actually, okay. I've got a friend yeah, you called want to spell Serena. Her name right. Well, no, I can spell her name. I have a good friend called Ser Serena. And so Serena, I do okay. have, and they're spelled almost the same way. Um, so yes, I want to call the episode that because I was pissed. Why, when these are superstar females, there's three superstar females, at least in this movie. And then they call it after a guy. So anyway, but I, you know what? That didn't matter anymore. Well, it didn't matter, but also... You know, the executive producers of the film were Venus and Serena. I know. And Venus has said in interviews that there was someone from the family present on set every single day of filming mm. to make sure they got everything just mm. the way they wanted. It's so incredible. it's their film yeah. and their tribute, I think, to yeah. their dad, I as well as it's it's Will Smith doing all the overacting he can to get an Oscar nomination. Stop it. He'll you probably know, get. <laughs> he was pretty Smith fantastic, but hammy. Was he not hammy? He can do no wrong in my book. <laughs> I love Will Smith. He was, I adore he was very, him. very good. He was very I, good. I adore everything about him. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I just had the TV on doing errands and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air came on. Now I watched every freaking episode of that when it was on. Um, that was a very popular TV show in our family. We adored it. Well, I was dying laughing. It's still funny. If you're having a bad day, my God, go find... Uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. It still holds up. It's still ridiculously hilarious. I mean, I was like by myself, ha ha ha, doing housework, cracking up. Um, Will Smith is magical and the camera loves him. And uh, oh, yeah, for maybe sure. he's hammy for you. I mean, wow. What but maybe you had to be hammy to play that character, huh? Who was certainly a hammy character. Well, he was a hammy character. He was I mean, definitely. What, what, kind of, what kind of person decides he's going to have two more kids? <laughs> and he's going to make them into, of all things, tennis stars and has determined with his 78 page plan before they're even born that one was going to be the champion of the world and the other one was going to be the greatest of all time. Boy, I mean, who does that? Who does that? I don't know. I guess who people who that? believe in miracles and people who believe in um, the will of vision. And I mean, miracles in the way of like not as magical, because I don't want I don't want him to get mad at me, King Richard. Because a couple of things came up that were very interesting, and I felt the same way as a parent. Um, I really related to him as a parent, first off. And I guess we should probably tell people the story in case they don't know a little bit Go about ahead. this. Well, it, it starts out that you do meet this family, um, and it, it's in Compton. Now, I might be an expert on films in Compton. Um, all the soundtrack I knew, I mean, boys... Hood, John Singleton. I mean, I was just riveted by this setting. And I, I had no idea about their family, to be honest with you. I really didn't know very much about them. But you start to see that there's five girls and the mother and father. 
And um, he is driving these girls, I mean, to the bone. All day long, they do stuff. And it's so magical and amazing. They are so accomplished. It reminds me of how I say how people can't believe that Shakespeare wrote all the plays. Here's your evidence. Now, I could tell you, I would be the biggest rebel in the whole history (laughs) of ever if my parents were like that. I'm telling you, I I don't think I I could handle it. But you have to respect his absolute steadfast determination that he might be living in the ghetto, but his kids aren't going to be um, aren't going to be hanging around with with drug dealers and no. uh, becoming junkies and and like that. Um, I mean, I mean the, the the sad the sad irony is that the oldest daughter it's not mentioned in the film, but the oldest daughter was murdered <gasps> by being in the wrong place at the wrong time in Compton. Tonda. Uh, yes, I'm not, no sure. I'm not sure. I don't what the know. Year I don't was know and, their story, and that's so sad. Um, so oh. there's a number of things that that weren't 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 touched on. That was one of them. Um, mm. uh, R- Richard is uh, is alive, but he's um, he's quite ill. He's had a number of strokes oh. since uh, 2017. Mm. Um, he remarried. What? <laughs> oh yeah, they they he divorced. They they divorced. Um, uh, he divorced Brandy, I guess was her nickname, right. and um, oh. married someone else who's only two years older than Venus. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of well, weirder, okay. darker stuff okay. going on well. there that they just decided, let's just not even go there. And yeah. I totally get it. It wasn't needed in the movie. No, it wasn't needed. You don't have needed. to get into, you could tell this story respectfully without getting into every, all of everybody's dirty oh, laundry. Right, right. And that's cool, sure. especially the kids, the kids movie, right? Yeah, it's a kids movie in a lot of ways. I mean, the kids right. are, it's the kids, it's that, those Their stories, movie. yes. It Their does, story, it does yeah. seem like it's the girl's story, even though, and it is beautiful how they portrayed their family. And I guess my message that I got from the film, so you're, you're following them. They're doing several languages. They're doing homework. Oh, they're I know, playing amazing. sports all day. I mean, they are so. They're, it's they're so, so respectful. They're, they're very, a very religious. They were a very religious Jehovah's Witness yes. family, yeah. and they don't go too deep into that either. Except, no. except that they're, you know, they they say grace at McDonald's or something, which is which is a little bit weird, right? Uh, in, in our it. culture. And then when they wanted them to play, um, at one point, um, they wanted them to play on a certain day, and I knew from our friend who grew up Jehovah Witness, our mutual friend Eugene, that. When they mentioned the Easter, um, I was like, that's not going to happen. Um, Jehovah Witness might not practice birthdays or Christmas, but they definitely practice the Passion and Easter. So they're not going to be playing on that weekend. So, you know, little things like that I had known around from different things. But what an amazing, I mean, Will Smith, he was incredible. The wife, Anjanou, let me see, I wrote it down somewhere, Anjanou, um Ellis. She was incredible. Um, yes. I love the entire cast. I think that was oh, the other that thing. Venus, cast the, felt the, like family. Both, both Venus and Serena, both act, actors were great. And right. the deter you could see the determination in 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 Venus. She played it so so well. And mm. you can just see her ferocity as a player starting to emerge. Oh, yeah. They showed up um, in one scene, they show his, her dad, their dad yells at them in the backseat and goes, Show me your angry face. And there are your, your power animal face. And it was like kind of goofy. The thing is, at one point in the film, she's facing away from her opponent at her first professional match. And when she turns around, I said to Stake, 
And that's the face right there. Yes. <laughs> that was the serious, angry animal face. And it's reserved. I would, <laughs> I would be afraid to face it. You know, my dad was a, a tennis buff. He played yeah. in, in the Masters World Champions. Yeah. Went to Australia in different places. And, um, you know, I couldn't help but think how much he would enjoy this film. And I, he had high hopes for me or my sister to be tennis stars. No way. <laughs> no way. Well, you know, one of the things I appreciated about the film is they made tennis seem exciting. It, they did make it seem exciting. I felt and I know if of... you're really, really into it, it can really matter if somebody if somebody aims the ball two inches to the left. I get that that can yeah. really matter. Yeah. But, you know, after 10 minutes of it, uh, that's about all I could normally take. Well, and I guess um, you and I aren't really tennis fans, I would say, you know. I mean, I mean hey, you know, I'm not a very good sports fan in general. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the last guy. I know. And I kind of only like hockey and soccer. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and having been, I tried my best to uh, get on the uh, tennis court and try and bat some balls. Right? I'm not saying I couldn't have been an, an okay tennis player. I just was like, I thought it was just so square. So it is, conservative, it's, it is it's very so square and very, very white, which is where, very really white, which is part of the whole point of the movie. The That's what yeah. I was going towards yeah. was that here you have this um, culture that is so embedded in um, racism. I mean, there were some good lines when when um, the father goes into a tennis club and he sits down with these guys, he goes, oh, I know you're the one, the rich guy, you're smoking a cigar. And then he goes, I'm glad you took your hoods off before, you, <laughs> before so we cool. came to the I was like, what? Oh, my God. It was like he had no problem saying what he was thinking. This, this no, guy he has clearly no had no filters at all. Well, yeah, maybe no filters, maybe. But I think that it seemed that he was had a very, I thought they were very particular moments when he said things. He used what he could to bring, he knew he was going into combat with these um, with these coaches and Nike or Reebok people. So he used what weapons he had, almost like Renaissance women using what, they couldn't go to war, but they had their own warfare. He used his own warfare, I would say. And and then he would be incredibly polite. So he wasn't unfiltered in that way. You know, I know what yeah, you mean. You could just I, say he was so tremendously focused he on was his so focused. goals. And he didn't let anything stand in his way. No. Um, and, you know, I, I respect the fact that they showed some of the warts, you know, mm -hmm. they maybe didn't show all of them, but they certainly, they, they certainly portrayed uh, Richard as being, uh, what, what would you say, irritating and exasperating to the rest yeah. of the world? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And, and just like, just stop already. You just want to say stop already. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, or as my friend Ted would say, take a chill pill. Yeah. And you know, there, there were some parts that were, there's some parts that were kind of, I think kind of controversial because, you know, you're seeing this community and you're seeing them be at odds with each other. And, you know, you could see that in, in any community and, and, and they portrayed sure. that microcosm so well that's with every so-called stereotype or every so-called, you know, you could have it with any yeah, there's, that, there's a beautiful scene where one of the neighbors calls child oh, welfare. That's exactly uh, what Because I'm he's working of. those kids too hard. I know. And his monologue was so brilliant. You know, what are you going to yeah, do? Arrest me for, for keeping my kids out of gangs? I know. It was painful. It was painful. And, um, yeah, I mean, ooh, it, it was hard. And then you felt for this poor mother, too, that was felt that you should baby your kids a little bit. And um, 
I think they did baby them sometimes. They did. They seem like a very loving family to me. Um, I would have loved to have had a family like that in my imagination is I now I know, you know, it's such a portrayal and a different portrayal of a family that everyone's there and spending time all together. My family wasn't like that. My dad was a hands off parent, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and so my parents were pretty much hands off parents too. Mm-hmm. But they'd every now and then they'd say, "My mom would say, how's school? Is everything okay?'" <laughs> yep, everything's fine. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, and that would I be mean, that. Yeah, same for my mom too. You know, I mean, now really... mind you, they knew that that school came easy for me. That that wasn't going to be. Right. I had other problems. That wasn't right. one of them. Right, right. And uh, my parents just, you know, thought if you made the rule, you do this, then you do it. They really did believe that the adults were the uh, bosses of the universe. And I agree. They, they are the bosses of the universe and the family. But I always used to tell my dad, why can't we talk about this? Why can't we be like a democracy? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And, um, you know, and his family was that way, too. But sometimes at least they let... They finally understood that at some point they've got to listen to these girls. Uh, I mean, oh my God, what an incredible, the, how about, first of all, I want to, I don't want to go over the, um, miss the acting. So, um, Ingenue Ellis, um, it was great. She played the mother and she was fantastic. And she's been in um, shows like, you might recognize her from True Blood, The Practice, The Help. She was in the movie, The Help. And she's in, um, the Mentalist. She played a really good character, Hightower, in a TV show, The Mentalist. She's perfectly I, cast in this film. Oh, she's so amazing, and she has some of the really toughest acting things. As much fun as well, Will yeah. Smith she's got in the to have all the fun. Line in the sand business. Yeah, yeah. And Will Smith got to have all the fun, and he's the ruler, uh, King Richard, as they say. And at one point, she has a line where they confront the coach, and he doesn't want the girls to go into professional sports. They're too young. And the coach is going nuts saying, you're going to ruin everything. They're never going to make it. And um, the mom sits there. And when the coach leaves, she goes, my faith told me I can't do anything. But between you and I, that was really unfair what you threw on me. And it was just really interesting to see how do you negotiate that kind of thing where the woman's yes. supposed to be subservient and not embarrass the, the partner. You're not supposed to embarrass your partner in public. And uh, she followed that, but then there was hell to pay after that. I well, mean, she yeah, just... she followed it to, to a degree, but she had her lines in the sand. And when she drew the line in the sand, she she grew into almost monstrous in her power. True. You know, it was it was really clear that when, when she spoke her final words, well, he changed <laughs> yeah. his mind, changed yeah. his tone pretty quick. Yeah, and then she also confronts that neighbor. And how she does it is by not saying anything. She goes over there and she said, I hope. And all she says is, I hope I never have to come over here again. She doesn't say uh, like he had a spiel. He laid it out. She just goes over there and don't come over here again. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very powerful. I also love Tony Goldwyn. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Tony Goldwyn is one of my favorite actors. He played the brother to one of my favorite characters in the world, Bobby Gorin on Criminal Intent, Law and Order. And he, um, you know, played a haunting drug addict um, against um, Vincent D'Onofrio's hero. He was on Grey's, he's directed a lot of things like Justified, Dirty Sexy Money, Dexter, Grey's Anatomy. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, he played the president in Scandal. Have you ever watched Scandal? 
Because I think you would love it if you. Yeah, um, oh, no, you didn't I, love I it. watched the scandal. Okay. I, I thought you would. Yeah, love it. I couldn't handle it. Oh, and he's also done some audiobooks. He did The Grifters. That would be a lot of fun. Mm. And he did Devil in the White City, which I listened to, um, which is a Chicago uh, kind of criminal true crime story. And John Benthal is in it. And I know him from The Punisher, but he was also in The Many Saints of Newark. He plays the father to Tony Soprano. And he's in uh, Baby Driver, Wolf of Wall Street, and Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh-huh. Yeah, and he, I find him, he played the coach who was an amazing character against um, Will Smith because you needed yes. someone who could come up against Will Smith and have that chemistry. And those two had so much chemistry. It was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, and like you could see the coach's exasperation sometimes. It's like, oh, how am I going to deal with this guy now? Right. And you uh, also but still, saw it was, they, they shared the dream. Right, they shared the dream, and you also saw what kind of money is involved in in catering and grooming these kids. It's freak. It freaks me out. Well, not I mean, only you're that, entering but, another world. But also the rewards. Without having played a professional match, she was offered a four million dollar endorsement contract. <laughs> I know. Which, which by the time she was fifteen and actually signed an endorsement deal, yes. turned into fifty. Million dollars for Reebok. Wow, yes. $15 million. She's a kid. And I it's just, I can't get my brain around. You know, money is a thing. I have a hard time getting my brain right, around. Right. In this world, in my world, we all sort of live and do stuff in the world that it would be great if we had enough enough resources to be able to, to live well, right? Absolutely. And beyond that, it's just meaningless to me. You know, um, and the contrast too, there's a other contrast of culture and I, I can just play it against my family is that whatever my father had hoped we might be, you know, get into some kind of sports for him and tennis, we didn't have that kind of money. I don't know what he was thinking or, you know, and I mean, obviously he let it go pretty fast. Plus you can't do it with divorce, I don't think. And you can't do it with addiction. You know, I mean, my family had addiction issues. Um, the, the, and then the rich white people, it's, you know, if it's amazing how many people are cut out of that middle class um, scenario, never mind middle class, but rich for tennis. And they really showed how much money was in these camps. Oh, yes. Like this was a, it's a mini city where they had whole caterers that just feed people while they practice. I never even thought about something like that before. So that was very new for me to see that portrayed in the, in there. I was really taken with this mini town where they play. Um, yes. Compare that to say a Canadian track star who, <gasps> who may get enough, enough sponsorship money or government money to mm. be able to, live in a motel near the training facility, which is third rate, you know? Right, right. So you think about what we didn't have in Canada. You think about what I couldn't, uh, which I didn't want. I don't think I wanted it. Not that I was any kind of brains. You know, I would have wanted, I suppose, if my family had been hanging out together like that, you just would have gone along with it, right? Um, Because I was not a, um, I wasn't at at that young of an age, I was not, um, I didn't talk back. I didn't holler back. I was pretty subservient. I'm a pretty submissive personality in a lot of things until most people don't know that because I'm talkative and loud, but I will take. I, I hadn't uh, noticed that I've only known you for. I know, but 40 that's years because I have confidence, <laughs> but that's because I'm used to talking to you and, and you and I have that rapport. I feel welcome there, but in other situations where I don't feel welcome or I don't know that I don't feel welcome, I'll take a lower role in a group of friends um, all together. I will be 
a quiet. I went away with th- three other women to New Buffalo. And the other day, one of them said to me, you know, you didn't say anything on that whole weekend. And I went, well, I did say some things. I, I did talk some things, but I, I won't go into that. Um, I won't necessarily try to play like the life of the party. I'm not that way, really. I'm really not. And, um, you know, I'll definitely be a joker in that when I'm in a room or an environment where it needs somebody to break the ice. <laughs> I was going to say, so never mind what I might have experienced or thought like, oh, how would you break into that kind of money where they get to go to Disney World? It's included in their in their practice. Um, And never mind being black in America. So it's like whatever thing I might feel that I was shut out of, it's a hundred times more insane. Well, absolutely. And and the wall that would happily keep the poor kids from Compton out of the hotel is a pretty, pretty high brick wall. It's really amazing how they could culturally break through and dominate the sport. I mean, what a, I mean, it's such a crazy story. It's such a crazy story in that way, because um, it was his willpower. It was the family's willpower. What did you think? Yeah. What did you think of the way they trashed Jennifer Capriotti? (gasps) Well, did they trash her or did she have trash herself? Do you well, mean that they use, I thought he, if he trashed somebody, he trashed his coach because well, he said I, I you mean, made her this. Jennifer Capriotti was uh, a player who, when she was 17 or 18 years old, um, got busted with a little bit of weed. <gasps> Can you imagine that? That's so terrible. What right. a crime. Right. Did you think and, it was bad that they played it up like this in the show? Um, I I certainly remembered it because they were making a comparison between Mm -hmm. this won't happen to my daughters Mm -hmm. because I'm a present father. Right. And well, I thought the whole movie was what happened with her. Right. I I thought the movie in some ways was an indictment of fatherhood of, of, of deadbeat dads. I thought it was. Yes. In in a way they really made the point that, okay. I mean, Places like Compton have a reputation for having father, a lot of fathers who aren't present. And they're saying this is a story about our dads and our dad was not only present, he was the driving force, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. for the sisters who, I mean, they must have wanted to do a tribute to their father. Absolutely. I I think you're right. for the film to come out yes. this way. Yes. I mean, there could have been any number of films mm. about these superstar mm-hmm. women, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't and they have could have to told it way. any way they wanted to. to yes, be, exactly. Yes. So I think that with Jennifer, I, I felt bad. I was a little, in, I did feel really horrible for her. And I, I feel And also because... what I didn't say was that she did, she was able to have a comeback and right. be a winner, a so-called winner in the tennis mm. world. Right. And you know what? I guess in that two hour, two and a half hour movie, they could have maybe shown that. Maybe they could have shown something, but um, I guess it was important for them to use the story to show how grave it is. You know, I thought it was interesting. I liked all the part where he said that, no, I think the other parents in tennis should be arrested. I mean, he really, it, it was over and over and over again. And, you know, I don't know if you've been to a, you know, hockey games, Canadian kids, hockey games are famous for verbal abuse 
uh, just well, like ab- anywhere. Absolutely. So there's, there's but no you, you know what? You there. know what that reminded me of. Mm. It reminded me of another film, and it might not be the first one that jumps to your mind. But um, <laughs> the film I'm thinking of was Searching for Bobby Fisher. Well, I know that we talk about that film a lot, but yes, it it has parallels of abusing children in these roles, I think. Well, yes, and I thought very much the tennis parents were very much like the chess parents. Yeah. Yeah. You're driving the kids and yeah. in the same and there it's a in a way it's a coming of age story in the same way. In the case of uh, uh searching for Bobby Fisher, um it's Josh Waitskin realizing he has to do this for himself, not for his father. He has mm-hmm. to play the way he wants to play. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, he also has to leave leave that competition and take up a different sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in um in this film. Um, you you see the coming of age of Venus when she I mean she decides I have to play, right? right. And she convinces right. her father that she right. has to play. And I mean you see that first professional match. Wow, what a nail biter, huh? Speaking oh, about a, trashing someone, they were I, not nice to Ms. Uh, Vaccaro. I think they played um, and, it how it her, was. And her nine-minute uh, toilet way. break. Yeah, she I mean, maybe she way. just had I don't know. No, it was a psycho. That was totally a psycho. I think she was, it showed the kind of privilege and spoiled attitude that, um, that how we're, we're raising these divas, we're putting these divas into this position and they're used to being princesses and, you know, she had a temper tantrum. Yeah. You know, basically, um, I, I found it so disturbing and I, I think though. I, I wonder if it's, if it's an incident that, that haunted those young women for years that they wanted that they wanted in the film. If they had a say in that, I have no idea. I guess so. I mean, I think what we, what was the important part of that was her um, grace under fire. I think that's incredible because we were seeing that these girls are powerful women and they have, you know, we have so many sports stories about guys being like, oh, good sports playing. I don't even like to say sportsmanship. I want to say sportship. You know, is that women have this too. And it's important to teach that. It's not just the game. It is about how you play well, it. That was one of the messages in our yeah. family. We're going to be humble. Yes, they that had was, it on that the wall. Was all the way through. It was all the way through. And, um, you know, that, of course, ties into Kendrick Lamar's song, um, Sit Down, Be Humble. Uh, I, I couldn't help but think of that. And I half expected it. Speaking of which, wasn't the soundtrack fascinating? It was good. I, what, why did, what did you see well, as fascinating? I just thought it was so fun because at first I was like, who the hell made this soundtrack? I when mean, they, when they were driving Rogers. along in the motorhome singing, you right. got to know when to hold them. I know. Them, hold them. I know. That and was I hilarious. Have, I have to assume that he must have really liked Kenny Rogers because <laughs> I don't think why they would put that in the film. Um, so, so I've got some notes here. Um, I thought Beyonce's song was really good. I've even got the lyrics here. Um, Beyonce's song is one of the theme songs and it's called Be Alive. It feels so good to be alive. Got all my family by my side. Couldn't wipe this black off if I tried. That's why I lift my head with pride. I got a million miles on me. They want to see how far I'll go. The path was never paid with gold. We worked and built this on our own. Can't nobody knock it if they tried. This hustle personified. I just love it. Wow, you'd think it was written for the the movie, was it? It was written. It's an original song for the movie, yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, and, um, yeah, I thought it was really good, and I can't wait to hear some remixes too. Um, maybe a bit more dancey. Um, what else was on there? Bass by King T, 
Appetite by Destruction by NWA. I wore that album out. Um, the Greatest Love of All by Whitney. I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney. I Shall Be Released by Nina Simone. Um, Sissy Struck by the Meters. I thought that was really funny. Uh, the Love You Gave by Dolly Parton. Cruel Summer by Bananarama. Uh, Cinderella theme song. California Dreaming by my favorite, one of my favorites, Bobby Womack. Right? Okay. Um, he did 110th Street because I knew his voice right away. I was like, wow, I didn't know he covered that song. And then uh, Kiri by Mr. Mister. Uh, what else have we got? Oh, The Gambler by Kenny Rogers. Plush by Stone Temple Pilots. So it really was the 90s and zeros. They really covered it. They um, Welcome to Paradise by Green Day. And uh, Lunatic Fringe by Red Rider. I just thought it was a really interesting, very broad, thoughtful soundtrack. To be honest with you, I enjoyed every second of it. It just seemed right to me. I, you know, I actually had spent right. a lot of time thinking about the soundtrack. It just was right, right. Um, with the possible exception of of you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, which I thought was as much as anything else, just a fun moment. It was a really fun moment, and I think it did play into, um, you know, that that was his character. He obviously listened to all kinds of music. Uh, there, there was also it was very nicely. What's that? You putting on music there? Yes. See if we get sued for that. <laughs> well, it's short enough, and it's for educational purposes. For That's educational my story. Purposes and it was on I'm YouTube. sticking to it. Yeah, me too. And besides, if we got sued, we'd get some attention. <laughs> we get a little attention. It may cost us a few Richard. million dollars, you know. We could be payouts, King Richard. But... Well, I think it would cost us going in and, and blocking it out of the of the podcast is what I think it would cost us. It would be a real hassle. <laughs> yeah. We'd have to yeah, we'd have to remember episode. what episode what was it in. <laughs> right, because I can't remember any episodes at all. Isn't that what funny? I have the same thing. Like, Terrible. we do them, and they all merge into, while well, it's all part of the podcast, I couldn't tell you what was on one episode or another half the No, time. me neither. And the other thing is, I just, my concern is that we don't tell too many times the same story over and over again. That's right. That's why it's important for you to say, Eugene, you've told this story already. You know, I try because, really hard. Because to of that. the two of us, who is likely to tell a story over and over and over again? Right. Is but it I, Candy? No. no. It's going to be you. But I think I did. I was worried that I was repeating a story last week and my not feeling well. And I think I probably did. Some stories, though, are, are worth, worth repeating Absolutely. over and over and over again. And our letter from Andy uh, demonstrated that. You know, who's just, who's thinking that everyone's out there going, I'm going to listen to this podcast from A to B. No, That's you right. might just want to listen to the odd episode every now and then. We would hope you would listen to more episodes. Because once you listen to one, you'd we're be addictive. Hooked. I think we are addictive. I think you have to go to AA for us. Um, yeah. I, you know what I think, though, is that one of the reasons why I can't remember what's in an individual episode is that in order to be able to do this, to week mm. after week after week, <laughs> yeah. talk in a in a recorded setting with you over and over and over again. The only way I can do it is to be absolutely here now when I'm doing it. Right. And and so after too. that, 
you know, I don't think of it. Oh well, we've put this episode in the can. I, I forget that really, really fast. That's for and other it people. Becomes that's this was today's experience. Yes, today's conversation. Yes. Um, was it a good one? I hope it was a good one. I hope it that's was a good I always one. Say. Sometimes I feel like we. I can tell when we've had a good episode, a really good one. Listen to this one though. I just got a notification. <laughs> apparently this app is giving me their own critical review of us it says set up professional audio in audio <laughs> settings <laughs> it just came up as a notification i resemble that remark i resent that okay so um yeah I'm although not in that. fairness yeah we've had a lot fewer technical issues than early on yeah, early true. on we were the kings and queens of, <laughs> of technical issues i know i think we lost a few listeners uh, because of it sometimes, you know, because I think, you know, there's so many great professionally produced um, and we're do it yourself and we're creative and experimental. I prefer to think of it that way. And I don't want to worry about um, some of those details because like you said, I want to be here in the moment, in the present. That's my practice. And that's our practice here. Just like I would go to a painting or a yes. poem or maybe a novel. <laughs> I don't want to even mention that. <laughs> Listen, I'm this close to sending you a, a novel. Chapter. The novel. Stop the it. Stop oh, it. yes. Yeah. I almost <laughs> forgot. <laughs> okay, I'm going to change the subject right away. Um, hey, I don't know. Do we have anything else we want to say about King Richard? Because it's, I think people, please see it. It's so good. Yeah, I think you should go see it. First of all, you're going to have a great time. I, aside great from time. everything else, you're going to come out of that, that movie theater with a great big grin on your face yeah you are i did laugh a lot and i cried a few times i i was really deeply moved but i laughed a lot hey also the other yeah. part that was really cool was at first um the gangs in in his neighborhood were picking on him and eventually yes. they were protecting him yes isn't that funny yeah yeah i believe that was probably true there was also that that scene in the film and i don't want to give it away but there was a very very scary scene well two scary scenes oh. involving the the gang oh, members right. um, the, the one where where they beat up on richard but there was another scene that i, I won't go into no we're just gonna let that one so sit. terrifying what what a horrible change of events that might have been and careful what you pray for yes because it was after some prayers Oh yeah, pretty that's close true. after some prayers. I mean, but maybe it wasn't bad. I mean, I guess it depends on where you're sitting. I, I saw it as like very much destiny, very much profound, very much sad, but damn it, it could have been way worse because there were some things going on where he was making some decisions that weren't good. Hey, well, um, that's that's true. And if you're if you're somebody who has a don't back down from that wave kind of character mm. um you don't back down from that wave you face it all regardless of, yeah. of how how tough it is yeah. uh, and that's not always the safest way of negotiating your way through life no, that gets you not. in a lot of trouble yeah, i you hope know, we sometimes... talked about this movie in a good way i hope we weren't too obtuse and we i mean things are if you follow tennis you're going to know the story um well, if that's... you don't follow tennis you're going to know You'll the story, learn the story. Yeah, and, yeah, but, but you know even though I mean, I I know that Venus Williams was the best in the world and mm -hmm. Serena is the best mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. We know that. Mm -hmm. But still, it was a nail-biting Oh, it was a nail-biting. I was oh. cheering them on like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I would believe because I know you love a coming-of-age story. <laughs> oh, I, as it turns out, I do, right? That's all I ever see are coming-of-age yeah. stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn, it's another one. Um, I watched a movie and I hope you did too. I think you said you were going to. It was on Netflix and I love it because the world is also, not only is the world a great place with Russell Brand and Will Smith in it, 
It's also a great place because Ryan Reynolds is in it. <laughs> and they all make the world a funnier, better place. Did you watch Red Notice? I did watch Red Notice. <laughs> was it not fun? And I think it was only 90 minutes. Well, it, it was fun. It, you know what, what I kind of liked? <laughs> but I kind of like it was like a buddy movie times two. Yeah. It was a buddy movie because it psychs you out a few times. They, they become and fall out of being buddies a couple of times. <laughs> I loved it. In fact, I loved it so much. I made, um, it's a spy Plus there were the heist. other buddies at the beginning. Right. right? It's the not buddy. a spy film. It's a heist film. They're going to steal three eggs of Cleopatra's. And um, they have to sneak around galleries and museums, which I love. And they wear cool clothes, which I love. And they wore silly clothes. And there's lots of good action. And they give lots of good lines to, oh my uh, God. to The Rock. They gave him a lot of good lines. And Ryan Reynolds just brings the funny every time. Yes. Um, in fact, um, one of the best lines that was, one of the Interpol says to him, I'm going to send you because they get caught by Interpol during one of their heists. And she says, I'm going to send you to the worst place on earth. And Ryan Reynolds says, what, your Instagram page? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, there are oh. some good lines. You know, it was a goofy movie. It was a goofy movie with uh, with a, a crazy ass plot. Uh, you can't take it too seriously, but no. but you know, I I put it in the category of fun time wasters. Fun time wasters, and isn't it okay to have those? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. I think it's. I think that they are all compelling. Gal Gadot's in it. Wonder Woman, um, Ryan Reynolds, and and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and they are the camera loves them. The people love them. They know how to make a really fun um, escapist film. And and I was laughing my ass off a number of times. At one point, Stag is, oh yeah, what's his name? Stag is afraid of Ryan Reynolds because I made him go to the movie theater to see Deadpool. And um, Deadpool <laughs> messes with my husband's sense of moral ambiguity. <laughs> um, in fact, at first, when I watched Westworld, I watched it by myself because our family felt Stay couldn't handle the moral ambiguity of Westworld. <laughs> and once I watched um, probably two seasons, I said, "You got to watch this. I'm going to do. A, I'm going to do a paper on it at the conference, and you're going to have to watch it so you know what I'm talking about." So we watched the whole thing all over again in preparation for season three. And um, uh, so how did that go? It went really well. He loved it. It's an amazing TV show. It's it's one of the greatest TV shows ever made, Westworld. Um, at one point, Stay goes, oh, what's his name? Because he's thinking of Deadpool. And I said, I see him scrolling while we're watching the movie. Um, Stay's on his phone scrolling. I said, well, what are you doing? Looking for his Instagram page? And um, I realized that is what he was doing. I said, you'll never find it. It's called Van City Reynolds, which realized that I know the name of Ryan Reynolds' Instagram page. So I kind of got busted at being a huge fan. <sighs> <laughs> it's pretty funny movie watching. Um, anyway, it was it was a fun oh, one. A fun movie. Uh, Did you notice what the bishop was watching? She was watching the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> So there's so much, you know, also, if you love pop culture, this movie has so much pop culture in it. And lots, lots of, of plot lots of twists. And lots of plot twists, lots of fun, lots of entertainment. Um, we survived um, our annual fight so far. Excellent. Is the plastic here. up? Yep, the plastic is up. And we also solved a mystery. Last winter, I guess when we came back from Canada, came back and I had put up some a barrier between the front room and the living room. And it seemed because it was so cold 
it just and I was like it's because we didn't put the plastic on the windows we didn't do it last year we just said fuck it during the pandemic I guess the pandemic was so bad we just blasted the heat and stayed inside and didn't put the plastic up and then when we came back and um, we had gone into quarantine again then Stag and I came to Canada we came back and it was like this is just more brutal than I remembered and I figured it was because I turned the heat down before we left just a little bit so we just coped with the winter and I put plastic between the two rooms. It was easier to hang a curtain. Well, you're going to tell me you made a discovery. Yeah, we did. I climb up to, um, and it's freezing on these windows yesterday. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And Stan goes, is the window open? And I said, don't be insane. And I move and the window was open at the top five to seven inches. <laughs> so we spent last winter and you're fighting about plastic yeah and you had the window open for an entire winter for an entire winter so i love duct- that and i and you know what we couldn't make it stay up so i had to duct tape the whole thing shut actually i do put duct tape on the windows before i put the plastic up to break the little bit of breeze that comes through anyway so you know, we- you're you know i have a really bad home handyman yeah. But you're making me feel a lot better Good. about my home first. <laughs> well, I don't own this place and it's not my windows and I can't ask the landlord to replace the windows. Um, so we just cope with it. This is what it looks like when you, um, you know, so you just... W- was it the window stuck open at least or did it take one finger to close it? No, I had to really push it closed. It was pretty hard. and it had Well, that's good. The... It kind of makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, the crazy hard. part was I guess it had probably slipped down. Who knows? when it had fallen. Um, and I never even, I never even looked, it never occurred to me, which is weird because we have a window in this living room that does that every year. And, and we have to duct tape it closed in the winter so or in the summer right too. Oh my God. It's incredibly comfortable in here. It's just, uh, it's like night and day. It's so fantastic. I can actually just enjoy the heat from the radiators, which probably need bleeding, but I don't want to bug my landlord to do that. Cause we have to do, you'd have to do the whole house but you, you know, should bleed them every now and then late late at night i like to take my fiddle out into my painting <laughs> studio to play because it doesn't bother anyone out there and uh, for those who don't know my painting studio used to be the garage in our house which once upon a time the garage was a separate building from the house mm. and back in the early 90s the people who owned this house did a renovation and they joined the garage to the house. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then they put this big, beautiful, big room on top of it. Mm. At the same time, they drywalled in the garage door with insulation. Okay. So if you tried to open the front garage door, you couldn't do it. <laughs> right. It's like it's a, a placebo a garage door. Okay. So to go in the other side, it's because the people who used to live here, the kids had a band. Oh, and, there and they would play and not oh, bother. Wow. So, you know, I, I didn't want to play late at night because I didn't want to wake up Sheila, mm-hmm. but I like to play late, late at mm-hmm. night. And mm-hmm. so finally I realized, oh, there used to be a band in there. No one's mm-hmm. going to hear me if I go wow. in there. So I go in there late at night. But because it's a garage, even though it had some insulation, it doesn't mm-hmm. have heat, but I have right. a heater. Okay. But I don't keep the heater on all the time until it gets really, really mm-hmm. bad winter because, right. you know, for part of the good chunk of the day, I'm not in there at all. So now my habit is after dinner, I go out and I turn the heater on to preheat the garage so that when I go in there late at night to practice, it's nice and toasty. <laughs> That's good. But you're not supposed to keep heaters on when you're not in there. 
well, if we don't keep it heated to above freezing, uh, the paint oh. will freeze. Oh, and, um, yeah, that would damage it, yeah. So we use one of those oil heaters that just gently heats. Okay. So, so far it hasn't burned down the house or anything. Good, it's been good. years. We don't want that, no. Good. <laughs> I, have a, I have, we have a little electric heater that we just, when it gets very bad, we just bring out to, well, we watch TV mm -hmm. and use that. But yeah, this gets to be a very expensive time of year. And, you know, I can't imagine what this year is going to be like. It was, it was worse last year when we were in quarantine because we were home all the time. And now I can't imagine what it's going to be like this year with the prices going up. Um, everything's going up. Everything's right going up. I didn't tell you about the supply chain things I experienced. You know, there's supply a supply chain. Well, there's you a know, lot you of talk go, about I the went supply chain. Years of my life without hearing the word supply chain. I know. But now if you turn on the news right now, somebody will say the word supply chain. I know. And you know what? I heard about this problem. Well, I think we heard about it at first when we, well, first everybody ran out of Clorox and bleach and stuff, right? And toilet paper. And that wasn't a supply chain. That was a consumption uh, thing, right? Um, it was like a run. But when the we first were in supply Tennessee, chain issues, I think, were uh, around lumber because they shut down the mills because people were getting COVID. And mm, so for a while, they shut down the mills. Right. And so no one was turning trees into wood. Right. Um, but in a city like Toronto, um, whose skyline features cranes yes um, uh, as an everyday kind of experience mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that becomes an expensive kind of proposition and I know we were doing some outdoor work fixing the deck and building the catio mm -hmm. uh, during the pandemic and it just got impossible to get wood much less oh you know, okay wood. okay yeah because what I had it wasn't being milled was I don't know if I told you this is when I was in Tennessee is I couldn't get white paint so if we wanted to temper the white paint, we, we couldn't tint it. And um, I, we wanted a, a plain white anyway, so we used the factory white. We wanted it to be a really, just your regular mill bottom. It was zero, zero, one on the, on the scale of colors. And, um, but it was just crazy because we couldn't get a lot of things. We couldn't get any piping or anything. Nothing could be ordered. So I don't know. That just, I just reminded me about, um, you know, the white paint I thought was really funny. And now there's a problem where, you know, where our show was at Martin's Bar and my friend works there. It's her family's bar. Um, well, it still is, right? Yeah. You could still go to Martin's Bar yes, in, in Chicago yes, and buy some candy minks. Yeah, and you could. Stag you artwork. definitely could. You definitely could. It's And what's the deadline? December 9th. But they don't have chicken wings. They can't get their bar chicken wings. You usually get oh, all these. Man, you know, who's going to buy art if you can't get chicken wings? No, but guess what? What? I went in there last night because of my coworkers called me and um, missing Belfast for the podcast. And, um, <laughs> but, but striking up some good convo in the meantime, they are making their own chicken wings. Now they're not getting the frozen ready prepared chicken wings. They're buying them from the butcher and making their own chicken wings. And they're, a they were already a way better. They're way better. They were already had a, amazing chicken wings, but now they're like people are going to come insane. for the chicken wings now, and they're going to realize, oh, I should you have should. started serving fresh food ages ago. <laughs> no, they're going to keep them now because they're so popular. Everybody really does like them. There's they such a huge make... difference between fresh food and right. pre-packaged frozen yes. stuff. Yes. I mean, people are willing to if they're going to go out and spend money when when they go right. out. At least if those people are like me, and I'm then they're they're willing to pay a little bit for something way better. I had such a good burger last night. 
I all of a sudden, once I ordered the chicken wings, realized I don't feel like chicken wings. I feel like a burger, but I'd already ordered chicken wings. So I said, I'll take those home. I'll eat two wings, take them home. And I want a burger. And oh my God, the burger was even better than the chicken wings. It was so good. So really you should go to Martin's and burgers have some food. And burgers, chicken wings. And mozzarella bacon wrapped treats, sticks. Plus beer. Yeah, plus, plus beer, beer and on plus, tap. Plus artwork by Candy Minx and Anthony Stagg. That's right. And there, it's still available, still for sale. <laughs> and there's other art there too. <laughs> All right. Um, what else? I'm looking at my notes because I have notes here. I'm just checking. Oh, I think I told you I watched Who Killed Malcolm X. And I had seen it on Netflix and thought, well, I don't know if I want to watch that either. But last week, the story broke that two of the people who were in prison for 20 years were exonerated completely for killing Malcolm X. They weren't even there or did they weren't there. They wouldn't have been. Well, they had always said we wouldn't have been allowed into Malcolm X because they were from a different faction of nation of Islam because he had left nation of Islam. They were from some different mosque or something. I don't know. I I screwed up that detail, which means that you can watch it. To me, it was one of the greatest mystery stories. And it was a great story because it's four parts on Netflix and it goes by like fast because the guy who's doing the research is just such a delightful, fascinating guy. You can't help but care about him. And I've always loved Malcolm X since I even learned about him. I love his speeches. I loved his talking. Of course, I love the Spike Lee movie, one of my favorites. And um, But this was an incredible um, documentary, and it played a part in getting um, the Innocence Project and lawyers to go back out and look at the case and exonerate these two guys. And I love these documentaries and true crime stories. Um, and, and podcasters um, like Michelle McNamara, who co- coined the phrase the Golden State Killer, and probably helped inspire her husband, Pat Oswald, says that she got that ball rolling on catching the guy. Obviously, DNA helps, but to open- well, true crime is is become a thing, hasn't it? Really, in the last couple of years, true crime has really become a thing, right? Like, Especially there- by so-called amateurs. Yeah, there may be more so-called amateurs doing true crime than there are um, craft beer startups in Toronto. And that's a lot. (laughs) That's a lot. That that there may be more than there are restaurants on College Street. That's a lot. And we've talked about the, the reason, the science behind this, and it really is kind of science, it's logic and time, is the reason is because people who go and look at the stars as amateurs have discovered more events and celestial events because they're not writing papers they're not teaching class they're not trying to get tenureship they are free they have hours and hours of extra right. time and they're not like like the police force having to juggle 20 cases um, correct and having some some exactly. guy who's saying your clearance rate isn't good enough exactly um you know uh, whereas if if you get amateurs chasing after an investigation mm-hmm. well you know, if as long as you have the money to support it, uh, they they right. can do it full time. Right. And this guy, he it was his passion. The guy who does who killed Malcolm X. It's his passion. He had a normal he has a regular job. He had a regular family and his spare time is obsessed with Malcolm X and who killed him was obsessed. And, you know, you got to have that obsession. As they say in the Hotel New Hampshire by John Irving, get obsessed and stay obsessed. 
and it, you know, it goes a long ways. Add that to the book list. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for my copy of Indians okay. on vacation. It should arrive today, and I will. Well, start that's good because it'll only take you 20 minutes to read it, where it takes me weeks, <laughs> and we can talk perfect. about it next week. That's perfect. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so. I've become a, a much slower reader. I used to be a really? fairly fast reader, uh, but at well, some point I started to slow down and savor novels. Nonfiction, I tend to read mm -hmm, faster, but no mm -hmm. novels, I like to savor. I like to savor this paragraph <laughs> and to enjoy that. I don't just want to like right. get to, you know, um, uh, Hercule Poirot tells you who did the the, the crime you know yeah. i i like novels that maybe have a lot more going on in them and you I'd spend some time with them hmm. yeah i guess I that's just, my excuse for being a slow reader yeah my thing is that i realized that audiobooks books on tape take they exist eight to ten hours i should be able to read faster than that because i'm not speaking yeah, or at least that speed. Or at least that speed. So I kind of, you know, I just try to go at it. You now, know. with some books. I feel like, you know, look at Cormac McCarthy. I mean, you, there's a writer you savor every word, but I still read his book fast. <laughs> but I think what you do is you, maybe the first time. Yeah. The first time I read that book, I read it as fast as I could. I couldn't, <laughs> right? I couldn't put it down. I think you um, mean Blood Meridian. Yes. Yes. The, the book the book the book it's like it's like fly fisherman used to uh, uh used to refer to uh a river runs through it just as the oh, movie oh wow have you seen the movie oh yeah oh, the movie wow. that was gary borger mm -hmm. you know like that mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah the book but the second time yeah you, i mean that's the thing some books you want to read again because they're insane either the writing style or how they are constructed or something that's right and like yeah. the really big books you may want to read spend a lifetime reading them right like Moby you know I, I think there are a lot of books that i've read numerous times and i'll probably go back to a few more times over mm. the years mm. no i'm trying to think of one myself right now and i can't think of one that's because i've read blood reading too many times and i said i would never read it again after the 12th huh Boy, was I wrong. Uh, have you any idea how many times you might have read it? Yeah, probably, probably 15 now. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's more than me. But I've I know it, it's uh, annoying because I, I don't want to read it again. You know, I've read it. I know it. I don't want to read it again. But sometimes to prove something, I have to. Well, especially if you're it. doing something like writing a paper, yeah. uh, you really need to immerse yourself in, in those details. In those details. And, yeah. and, you know, and some books just become old friends. You want to mm -hmm. go back to, so true. To, to that, visit that world again. That is so true. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I can think of a nonfiction book that I used to read every two or three years. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read it, but, but. Uh, anatomy Many. of anatomy of a fisher or something what is it i want to guess um, it oh no no i actually i was thinking of um of that book by um uh the shape of content by ben sean oh right right uh, about the education of the artist mm, and mm. it's a wonderful book it's really a book that was cobbled together by some lectures that ben sean mm. had given uh, about the education of an artist he did i believe he did it at harvard so one of the big Right. Ivy League universities, and uh, it was—it's just a marvelous document. Has, and I went back many times to it. Has there been a book that's locked horns with that for you on the topic? Um, like you know, um, Robert 
Frodo's last name. Has there been any criticism that's that's really been as no, inspiring actually because, for you? Because most of the time, that's one of the few examples of books about art that I let into my world. But have you read? You've read other criticism. Sure, but I try not to. <laughs> Sometimes you do it by accident, or you you get into it, and you realize, oh damn it, it, I'll read this. But you know, uh, it's important to me as a painter to there's lots of different kinds people approach art in all sorts of different sorts of ways mm -hmm. and, and all of those approaches i think are are legitimate and right. there'll be some there'll be some painters uh who will take a very academic approach to uh to art making for me it's been very important to not let not let somebody's criticism get in the way of my art making mm. and so um i've often um maybe checked out somebody's criticism but then just said okay just stay away just, i don't I, i'm not going to let this into my world and so i'll shut out uh some critics ideas about what art ought to be because i want to make up what art ought to be on my own very much very much like serena williams in the film king richard when um she's asked about um you know um who do you want to be like and she she says i want everyone to be like me right right i think she she nailed what i'm thinking about that is mm. i i don't and also um as an art student in which yeah of course i studied some art criticism uh, but as a as an art student i also saw how art criticism really was not good for some artists. And I'm thinking, for instance, of Clement Greenberg is a really, okay. really good example. Mm -hmm. And I think of the famous story of, uh, of, of Ronald Bloor kicking Clement Greenberg out of his studio. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, he, he created a prescription that he expected a, a number of artists, a lot of artists to follow if they wanted the success that he controlled. And, right. and so I'd never... I never liked that. I always thought there was something very distasteful about it. And so uh, I've, I've blocked, I've, yeah, I've well, I, think, my, I put on my gloves so I could, I could ward off attacks from criticism. Yeah. There are several art critics and art theorists who have political agendas. No. Yeah. Are there really? Yeah, there are. So I think that's off putting. One thing I like about Jerry Saltz when we saw him a, a couple of years ago was that he said, my advice to artists is stay up late, hang out with your friends. And he said a few things, but the number one was the number one and two were hang out with your friends, stay up and stay up late. And I thought, wow, that is really great advice. Of course. That's fantastic I, advice. I, I believe, and I can't quote it because it's been a few <laughs> years since I've read it, but I believe that Ben Sean said something in, in the shape of content as his advice to artists is read, 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 yeah. read, read everything you can, except the critics. Don't read them. <laughs> Well, um, and what he was saying was, advice, he, he was, I mean, he was making a prescription too. He was mm. saying, make art that's driven by your experience, as opposed to by somebody else's theory. And I, I subscribe I to wise. that prescription. I do too. I think that's very good. Very, very appropriate. But one of the ways to success is to subscribe to uh, the popular uh, subscription. 
the prescription. Yeah, I think that that's been, you know, the cynical view. I think that, and there's, I think there's evidence of it too. Definitely evidence of it. And I think that's unfortunate. And, you know, it's a struggle between wanting to make a living yeah. by doing what we're doing. And, um, and, and, and you know, and that said, that said, I know there may be some <laughs> listeners. I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you. Yeah, that's okay. There may be some listeners who are going <laughs> to jump all over me for my, my stance. There. I hope so. So I'm also going to say that, you know, I went to uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I went to uh, uh, a museum called the, the Dia uh, in Beacon, New York. Oh, yeah. uh, lovely, quaint little town uh, on the Hudson River. Uh, really interesting little place. Not, not far from there was Storm King, which is also the most fantastic sculpture park um, I've ever seen. That's for sure. Uh, but I went into the Dia and I didn't really know what to expect because it was all work from a particular tribe of artists uh, who come from, um, let's say, the uh, the New York conceptual art school with a capital S, if you could use that mm -hmm. word. Um, and you could say the deal was a dialogue between, between those artists. Mm -hmm. And well, I'm certainly not ignorant of that, of that modern tradition or postmodern tradition. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not ignorant of that work, but it's never work that really turned my crank. Um, but years later, I went into the Dia and I was just, I was romanced by that work. If you could imagine that stuff romancing anyone, I was romanced by that work. Uh, so many of those pieces I saw in a new light. I think I saw in the light of the people who, who made them. And I was able to have um, a, a tremendous amount um, more uh, empathy for uh, for that particular place and time in American art. Well, I wonder if it's possible that you could have that experience with other retrospectives. Of course it's possible. <laughs> so we can always change and learn. Of course, we. I mean, you you <laughs> witnessed me. I I am Mister Change and Learn. You think I'm the Mister Stubborn guy, but I'm the Mister Stubborn guy who turns into Mister Change and Learn pretty and quick, faced with the reality of a powerful painting. And it's much more interesting than someone who's kind of Pollyanna. You know, when you see someone so stubborn, kind of break down their shackles and. Their... And in some cases, you know, like when I was at Dia. One of the artists featured in there was um, was an artist named Dorothea Rockburn, and I just i I had no way of relating to Dorothea Rockburn's work in the past. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It didn't make it didn't it didn't capture my imagination mm -hmm. in any kind of way. And I think maybe I had only seen pictures of it. Uh, and um, when I saw her work at the Dia. All I could say is I was romanced by that work. By the time I left there, I was, you know, I was, I was looking at the work. I spent a lot of time with it. And mm -hmm. um, the docent who was in there uh, mm -hmm. came up to me and said, you seem particularly interested in this work. And, <laughs> and, and so we started to talk about it because it turned out this person was a real fan of the work. Oh. And he started to tell me stories about how she would come into the gallery every now and then mm -hmm. and and wander through and people would recognize her and she would wow. talk to them about, about the work. And he was talking about how fantastic that was. Um, 
anyway, all this is really just to say that, uh, well, it isn't my favorite, it isn't my favorite chunk of American art. Um, I really did gain a, a new respect for it and enjoyed it um, far more than I ever, I ever thought I would. Excellent. <laughs> I love it. I wish I could go to, I'm going to try and go to that the next couple of years. We didn't have I would time say, on the way back. I would say the Dia, the Dia is in an old uh, Nabisco cracker um, cardboard box factory. Hmm. It's about hmm. 10,000 square feet. It's, it has one enormous room, just, just crazy, you know, acres the size of this room, it seems. <laughs> That's just John Chamberlain works. Wow. Uh, uh, mostly of the, uh, the, the car pieces, but there's also one of these really weird works that he did later on, very vexing to me, mm. which was, it's like he got some big chunks of foam and stacked up these big chunks of foam and then covered them with a drop sheet mm. and called it a sculpture and invited people to go and interact. <laughs> and so people are, they take their shoes off and they jump around on this, <laughs> this silly sculpture. <laughs> I don't know if I like it or if I don't like it. Mm. It's uh, mm. it for me, the biggest thing was how could the guy who did these works do this work? Mm -hmm. And of course, I know because I, I change all the time as a mm -hmm. painter. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of my problems in terms of having any kind of consistent career is that the second people like a stream of work I'm doing, I get bored of it and start doing a different one. <laughs> uh, such is life, eh? Mm -hmm. So I think what we're saying is if someone likes your work at a certain stage, they better buy it right then and there because it's not going to happen again. <laughs> that's it. Right now, I'm making. Uh, I've gone back to making uh, collage books. Mm. Making a book called Underground. In a that used to be a book about ghosts of London, hmm. and uh, and now it's called it's called Underground. And I started to post um, collages from that book as I do them uh, in posts called Daily Collage with a Number on my mm -hmm. blog, which listeners can see at twenty seventh Street dot me. Cool. That's two seven t h s t r e e t dot m e that's my personal blog and you see some of those collages uh right there very cool all right i hope someone will write us an email i would like to um get a request for heist movies there was also something else i wanted to ask but whatever if anybody feels like emailing us please do at the agency dot podcast at gmail.com um and even if um if it's just a request for information, we, we got a recent request from one of our listeners uh, that, that came in who was thinking about, about buying uh, um, a, a banjo ukulele. And, oh. uh, and uh, she was looking for some advice on, uh, on those cool. instruments. Cool. Um, so, of course, I don't play one. I've never played one in my life, but that didn't mean I didn't have advice. Right. So I said back some advice on uh, on maybe what to. Uh, I do have oh. some advice generally about ukulele. Maybe we can read those next week. Um, we can, but I mean, it's not it's not really necessary. Uh, you know, she wanted to know about banjo ukes. I happen to know a little bit about banjo ukes or or banjo lalies uh, as as they're called. Uh, right. But the, the long and the short of it is, um, the cheaper the ukulele of any of the 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 ukulele family of instruments, the more the more frustrating it is to try to keep it in tune. Hmm. 
Interesting. Um, up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And after a certain level, then they just get nicer. But there's, I think, like with banjos, you can, you reach a certain level where they're all good banjos. <laughs> just each one has a different character. Right. That's why some of us seem to need seem to more collect than them. one. <laughs> I, I don't admit to collecting them. How many violins do you have? Just two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Talk to you soon. How many violins do you have? I have zero, but I have two ukuleles. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, there's a, there is a law for, um, uh, for how many banjos you should have. I think it's a, a law of physics. It was probably in that, mm-hmm. that physics book. Uh-huh, probably yeah. was. Yeah, it probably was. <laughs> and it says the number of banjos that you need can be expressed in two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one way is X plus one, where X equals the current number of banjos in your house. <laughs> or S, S minus one, where S equals the number of banjos that gets you booted out of the house. Yeah, I was going to say, I knew there was something. So you have to be just spouse. short of that number. <laughs> so the S stands for spouse? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. But, but you know, like many things, when you get involved with them, I mean, you want to have the good gear, mm-hmm. I think. So I wanted to gear up banjo-wise. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I when I became a fly fishing freak, I I uh, started to look at gear as well. And I got into using um, handmade split cane fly rods. Didn't you even make one? I started to make one, but I was a, a dismal failure at it. <laughs> I didn't know that. Have you, yeah. you do you still have it? I still have the pieces because oh. <laughs> I might get, I might get back to it one day. Oh yeah. I have those kind of projects in my apartment too. Yeah. I'm trying to get rid of those projects right now. Yeah. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you try things out. Definitely. You, you think it's going to be a good path and sometimes mm-hmm. it is and sometimes it isn't, you know, for me, I started to, I started to play fiddle thinking that's really where I should go musically. That's what mm-hmm. I should, should mm-hmm. learn. And it was so hard. It was so hard. I thought, oh my God, what have I got myself yeah. into? Well, you can't quit and, now. And no, I can't do it. I can't quit now. And, you know, right now, one of the, the challenges that I'm having as I'm starting to get a little bit better mm-hmm. is that I have got um, hands. Do you remember the movie The Fly? Of course. Yes. Well, somebody in the fly refers to George Chevallo's hands as hands like canned hams. (laughs) And my hands are like that, too. I mean, they're like pods more than hands. Right. So to try to land one of my giant fingers (laughs) on exactly the right tone consistently over and over and over again is really quite a challenge. Mm. Uh, Now, maybe it's a challenge for people even with 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 long skinny fingers too. I don't know. Um, but it's a challenge that I've really taken on. Mm. So I started doing things I thought I'd never do like scales, arpeggios. Oh, good idea. Um, uh, I'll, I'll take three notes and just play them over and over. I'll play a drone of a note from my tuner and just match the drone. And here, listen to what happens as I go off the exact pitch. I've started mm-hmm. to spend a lot more effort to um, get my pitch exact 
which is, I think, a really worthwhile thing to do. And where when I started learning, I just wanted to learn all the tunes as fast as I could. Um, but this week, I've only been working on one tune. And it's a tune called The Woodchopper's Breakdown. And I'll put a version of it, not mine, uh, up on our, our Facebook <laughs> okay, good. page. Good. Fantastic tune. Um, it's, a, it's a breakdown or a reel, and it's, uh, it's, it's played usually very, very fast. Uh, and it's a tremendous amount of fun. Um, but I've just been doing it a little bit at a time, getting my pitch closer and closer, hmm. uh, making it just so. Very good. That's like my this story. podcast. <laughs> We're making it just so. Just so. Thank All you right. so much for listening, people. I think we're, we're going to be back at you next week. Yeah. Send in those emails. Please. Bye.